I'm Anna Parker. And I'm Miriam Chancellor. Welcome to Big Mistake, the podcast that unpacks the failures and mistakes of top professionals. So, to make us, and hopefully you, feel better about the mistakes we all make in our careers and lives, we'll be talking with high performers to understand the behind the scenes and less glamorous moments of the business world. Okay, here we're off. I'm recording. Great. How are you, Anna? Great. How are you going? Good. I'm sitting uh, just inside of an Airbnb in Noosa Heads. The sun is shining and it is good to be alive. What's on your plate at the moment? The last episode, do you remember the last episode you had blocked Michael in with the car, with your car, and he had to, and he had to interrupt our recording to get your keys? Oh, yes. He said yes. afterwards that when he'd moved your car, turned it on, he was blasted with classical music that was so loud. <laughs> and he, he laughed so hard and he wanted to come back in and interrupt our recording again to say, I cannot believe how loud you listen to classical music, but thought he was in enough trouble from before that he wasn't going to interrupt again. That is so funny. I I yeah, well, you know, and what, he said what can I say? he came in and he said, What 27 year old listens to classical music that loud? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's very hardcore, you know, when when the Vivaldi uh string notes hit just right, it's as good as a headbanger, like seriously, that's <laughs> hilarious. Oh, so good. Now, David Downs, now, David, David Downs, Dave, yes, now David Downs is who we're interviewing today. And so we've so we've so we've already recorded the interview, and uh-huh. one of the things David talked about was starting up the comedy club, the classic, which is still in existence now. Yes. And it reminded me about the time I started up a business when I was on parental leave. Do you know about this, and do you want to hear the story? I'm. I don't think we've spoken about this. I don't think I've shared Sitting the story. Up a business. Okay. No. Go. Go for it. Yeah. So. Obviously, my background is insurance litigation lawyer, broker, but the business I decided to start up was nothing to do with with that while I was on parental leave. And the business was a play tray. So it was a acrylic mirror, so non-breakable, doesn't break, doesn't scratch. These, these incredible mirrors that we sourced built into a wooden frame that was completely baby proof like light wood edges it was just for babies to look at their reflection because when I had a baby I discovered that all the baby mirrors either looked horrendous or they were so small that the babies couldn't see their face and then if you wanted a baby to kind of play with things on the floor you wouldn't necessarily lay a mirror on the floor you would want something that was not able to be smashed so we created this business um, a guy in our baby sensory class, he turned out to be a carpenter, a builder carpenter. And I told him about my idea. And he said, yeah, I'm happy to go in on with you on this. And he sourced reclaimed timber. We designed something. We got it all made. I'll, I'll put the photos on Instagram of what it ended up looking like. We did photo shoots, branding. We came up with everything. Turns out, though, that this is where it failed. So this was the business failure that... Because yeah, yeah. I didn't make... So I was relying on him to make the trays. That was fine. He, he would make them. Um, and I did everything else. But when I asked him what the cost of it to make it... So it took per tray, it took him four hours of time. And the materials Ooh. alone cost $200. So when I was per selling... Per tray? This, 
fur trade because it was New Zealand made and the mirror was unsmashable. And anyway, so when I would come up with a price, I mean, I, 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 I we had to say like the trays are, are $250 per tray, which was an extraordinary amount of money for something that is essentially a bit of some mirror and a bit of wood. And it did look beautiful and there were different colours and whatever, but you just could, it was just too expensive. So wow. I can't believe how many of my friends actually ended up buying this tray, by the way. So they, what, so, they so, were, Anna, they, Anna, Anna, they were just being nice. That's what I mean. They were just doing <laughs> it. That's what I mean. They were just doing it to support me and what I was doing. Yeah. And they still have it. And funny enough, they still have it. They use it. Um, the ones that actually bought it, you know, I, I did get really nice reviews from it, but because it was so difficult to produce something on mass when it's handmade and really difficult to charge that sort of money for it, it fell over. So, yeah. I bet there's people listening to this and they've got their own variations of what is essentially the same moral of the story. Yeah. I mean, it must be a really common challenge for, for people yes. when they've got yes. this business idea. But yeah, ultimately, you just need to be able to get your costs down. Otherwise, you just wouldn't be able to scale. Exactly. And I was reminded of this, not only talking to David, but also because the guy, who the carpenter, builder, is now on TV. So he's now on House Rules. But it did keep, it did keep me entertained. So yeah, that's awesome. Well, speaking of business, speaking of business ventures, my first business venture was... Uh, when I was about nine years old and our family used to spend time at the Ruapehu Ski Club every year. So we were um, a, a skiing family. And that meant that during the school holidays, we would go and spend basically a week of the school holidays on this ski on the mountain in the ski club, go skiing during the day. As kids, we would have lessons and, it was a really family-friendly uh, club and and a great activity to do. Uh, but what I did is I had this idea. Oh gosh, I still wince just at the thought of it. Of at the end of a day skiing, and you know everyone in the ski club has come in from the mountain. They're they're tired. They're a bit sore. So I had this idea in the common room, the common lounge, kitchen, dining area to set up what was a basically a massage clinic <laughs> at nine is, years old. This is the most bougie nine-year-old story I've ever heard. What nine-year-old well, even knows about massages, knows how to no, make no. a business out of it? Well, because my parents knew how to, well, especially my mum knew how to ask for massages. So I, I knew that this, you know, massaging was a thing and adults loved it. So I, but, but actually it's a common, it's a common it's almost the same moral of the story because you know what I was charging fifth. And this is to be fair, this is like, um, uh, what, how many years ago would this, this is, this is like over 20, this is about 20 years ago. I was charging something like 50 cents for a half hour foot massage. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and not only that, I employed, employed, she says with inverted commas, uh, a receptionist who I would split the a profits with. A receptionist, another yeah, nine-year-old receptionist. Yeah, correct. That she would make the bookings for me, and so here we would set up, and these these guys, these like middle-aged men, would come in with their with their having removed their ski boots and removed their smelly 
ski socks would come in and present their feet to me, which I would like gladly, not even <laughs> thinking about how gross it is, which is weird when you know me now because I like yeah. I'm quite quite clean. Yes. Yeah, 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 things yeah. like that. So maybe maybe that's what subconsciously uh, caused me to to go the other way. I, I don't genuinely know, anyway. feel like this would make the news now. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, maybe it's a bit, a bit of a community service. You know, it was only a donation, massage by donation. Donation, but anyway, I was thinking, wow, this is a this is a great hit. I'm getting all these customers. I'm making like f- like five dollars, and I'm by the time I've split it with my receptionist, who's just putting people's names on paper. That's all she was doing, <laughs> twiddling her thumbs while I was actually doing massaging. I was like, this is. This is great. I've got a couple of bucks to be spending on, you know, lollies and whatever. So, yeah, so funny when to think back to that. I haven't thought about that about a long time, but but definitely uh, far more embarrassing than your your <laughs> seemingly legitimate uh, business venture. Boy, oh boy. Okay, so our guest this this week is David Downs who is the CEO of New Zealand Story Group, which is a company that was set up to enhance New Zealand's reputation offshore, particularly beyond the clean green reputation that seems to be pretty ingrained. Uh, he's also the chairman of the Ice House. He's a speaker. He's an ex-comedian, which is something that we we talk about in the episode. And he's just one of these guys that has – he's never short of a good story. Do you think he's going to like being called – an ex-comedian, I feel like you're always a comedian and if, and you're either funny or you're not. Yeah, well, he, he's, he's got a great TED Talk on, in, that he did uh, through Tauranga TEDx. And he's, he is, he's a genuinely funny guy. But I think comedian has certain connotations, which means that that is your, you're, you're currently a practicing comedian. So, I mean, well, no, he has said ex-comedian in his LinkedIn, LinkedIn bio. So there. A, a point not only not only just when he shared about starting up a business and all the the things he's gone through, but uh, something I remember from the interview is when we talked about marriage and you just couldn't get anything out of the two of you. They're just like everything's wonderful, it's great. <laughs> I was like, I don't well, know. What if? Well, yeah, what if it is? But to be fair, you know, we haven't had kids yet, so maybe get back get back to me in time and I'll I will I will give you a new spin on that. I mean, but I think that's something to be celebrated that it doesn't marriage doesn't have to be necessarily this this hard thing. Yeah. I think people make out that it's really, really hard. But it it depends on the couple it depends on the yeah. people involved and i just personally. don't i don't think that it i, I think uh, we talked about the 80 20 rule which is you look at a situation you think have we i've have i got 80 percent really good times laughter fun lots of love affection whatever it is you're after and then there's 20 percent hard times and then yeah i mean throw some kids in there and that's gonna amplify those hard times a bit more <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> Exactly. But anyway, David Downs, we hope you enjoy, enjoy this episode. Uh, we certainly did. And there's, there was there was scope to go further, but unfortunately we didn't quite have the time. But he is, nevertheless, was able to deliver some serious gems. So enjoy this episode of Big Mistake. I thought as a starting point, so you understand the concept of Big Mistake is that we want to unpack 
a big mistake that you've made. And I love when David emailed in response to me inviting him to uh, be on the show, he was like, oh, you know, it's not going to work out because, you know, I haven't made any mistakes in my entire career or personal life. He is perfect. So <laughs> so really, this is going to be a very short yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought as a starting point, uh, just to say, you know, aside from being a board director, a consultant, a CEO and a speaker, you're also a cancer survivor, which you've spoken about publicly on... Ad nauseum. Ad nauseum, <laughs> uh, which I know both Anna and I have had the joy of uh, listening to. And I just, what strikes me about hearing the story, and I, I think I enjoy it more every time I, I hear it, which is your ability to add a lightness and really humour to what is ra a rather dark. serious, mm. dark time of your life. Mm. And I just wondered, is this an attitude when you were amidst the, the cancer, was this an attitude that you intent intentionally adopted? Or do you think you're just hardwired to be an optimist? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. I, I think it's a bit, of, a bit of both. I think that personally... I am hardwired to be an optimist, so mm -hmm. that's like you know all the personality tests and such that you do. Mm -hmm. And I, my parents are both Irish, so that's sort of there's something probably there because they're miserable most of the time in Ireland. <laughs> but when they get out of Ireland, they're lovely people, the Irish. Um, but I do, so I do think there's a bit of genetics. But actually, what I've learned is there's a lot of practice in it. There's a lot of when you practice optimism, you get better at it. And you can be an optimist or a pessimist, whichever one you practice, you'll probably get good at. And so if you if you put yourself in these positive zones. You know, and to, you know, the question you were asking, I was in hospital and I didn't really consciously do this, but I started to entertain myself by putting up posters on the walls and pretending I was in foreign countries and then getting props and costumes and making all the guests and the visitors dress up and stuff and the doctors and the nurses. And suddenly you, you realize you're actually kind of enjoying yourself, weirdly, while you're having chemotherapy. Um, and so that practice, you, you might, A, your brain can't be then miserable because you're busy. Yeah. It's busy being happy, but B, it's sort of a muscle memory that you're starting, yeah. you know, and you're yeah. building up this kind of way of being able to reframe things. So practice. So if you if you take yeah, uh, what's the word? If you engage in certain practices of optimism, mm. you feel like that influences. So perhaps in that in that case, wherever people are on the the spectrum of optimism, there's a percentage perhaps either side to push or pull. Yeah the extent to which they experience that. Exactly. Are there any other practices that you engage with, perhaps outside of uh, even even the cancer story, yeah. in, in the real world that you think help maintain you as a cheerful person? Yeah, cheerful fella. Yeah, I think there are. And again, a lot of this, I'm going to sound like I've studied this extensively. <laughs> and I haven't. I've read some, you know, a couple of online articles. But what I realise is, retrospectively, you realise some of the things that you do are just good practice and good yeah. um, things. So, for example, what I've I sort of read recently, or in the last few years, read humans um, have this natural propensity to catastrophize things. Mm -hmm. So, like we are, well, humans are hardwired to look at the negative, you know, and it's because it's almost genetic, it's almost you know, evolutionary. Our ancestors are the people that survived because they worried about what was that rustle in the bushes? Was it a saber toothed tiger? And, and I'm, I'm, this is pop science now, but but that meant that evolutionary the more cautious people probably survived and the more random you know people that jumped off cliffs or whatever didn't 
So we are, you got to think about that. When you put yourself in a modern context, that means we're probably overly cautious most of the time. Mm. 99% of the time, I'd say, when you're worried about something, you're cautious about something, you're probably over-egging it mm. a little bit or a lot. Um, and when you realize that, it allows you to, um, to take a little bit more risk or to, mm. to work in a different way. So I think that's one thing. Another thing is, I, and I genuinely do do this, I, at the beginning of every day, I, I, I think about what's, what the, my day holds for me. What, what could happen? What's going to go well? What's the best stuff that could happen? What am I looking forward to? And you, again, you occupy your mind with that sort of stuff. Not, oh, God, I've got to talk to that person or I've got the accounts receivable I've got to do or I've got that horrible report. You go, right, what am I looking forward to today? Oh, I'm going to do that podcast. That'll be quite interesting. Yeah. I get to talk about myself. I love talking about myself. <laughs> it's awesome. You know what I mean? And, you, and you're sort of anticipating. And then at the end of the day, I do the opposite. And you reflect back, oh, what, how did today go? That's good. You know, instead of going, oh, I said that thing and that was so stupid and I shouldn't, bad, bad person. You go, what went well? And, you know, what did I learn and what did I enjoy? And again, I, I didn't realize, but positive psychology says that those are two things you should do. Anticipation and wow. savoring are, are really positive yeah. mental things. We'll talk about the what was the hardest part of your day yeah. and what problems did you solve? What did you overcome? Yeah. So just talking about it and saying, like, oh, I had this really hard day because of this moment and I overcame it because of this. And it just sort of, well, for me anyway, builds resilience, which is, yeah, yeah. oh, that was a hard day and... Tomorrow's a new day. Yeah, and I like the framing of what does the day hold for me because yeah. it's it's all about rather than what have I got to do today. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, instead of a burden. Exactly. And 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 it's amazing how many times if I say like what am I looking forward to? It's amazing how many times you actually exceed that. You know, like you you do better than that because something else mm. equally exciting happens. Mm. You know? So mm. I, yeah, that's a big yeah. thing for me. That's awesome. There's such power in language, isn't it? I oh, was self-talk. Self-talk yeah. yeah. so important. I was talking to someone. I mean, in the world of public speaking coaching, you're obviously catching people amidst possibly the, the most anxious. negative self-talk, the yeah, most anxious yeah. they're going to be. And you catch them out on it and you you have to because they get in this rhythm of of uh, this negative feedback loop. Yeah. And it's so dangerous and they don't even realize they're doing it because it's become so ingrained. And until you actually, you have someone that comes in and say, says, hold on, Watch what you what you're saying there. Do you yeah. really believe that, or do you want to believe that? And if not, what's a different yeah. way we can frame that? Because I, I, yeah, totally. I think, and that's perhaps you know coming back to whether you're hardwired or whether it's trained. That's something we all do have control over is our how we how we frame yeah. the situations that we're in. I wanted to do our listeners a favor because yeah. some people will be listening to this saying, I don't know the cancer story and you're uh, now gonna you're, you're now gonna make me go to Google or yeah. watch something. So really bullet point, high level okay, what sure. it is. Uh, the very, the very quick the, yeah. the um, elevator pitch story. Yes. Uh, so I, just a normal business guy a few years ago, five years ago, six years ago now, I um I felt like I got the flu. And I was just sick and I ignored it for far too long, just didn't go to the doctor. And then when I did go to the doctor, they they discovered it was cancer. It was lymphoma, blood cancer. And then I did about a year's worth of treatment in New Zealand, chemotherapy mainly, and in and out of hospital a lot. I spent, I had to basically drop out of work because I and it was in hospital for so long. And then, unfortunately for me, it, it just didn't go away. Like the, Every time we stopped the chemo, the cancer kept coming back. And um, so it got to the point where it was terminal, and I was told I had a year to live for less than a year. So it wasn't a great story. That bit of it, that was pretty hard to be positive about. Mm. However, that was also when amazing luck happens. Um, but luck has many components. Mm. Um, you know, it's, there's so many bits to the story. Um, and I got myself on a clinical trial in the US, in Boston. 
and um, this is an amazing new therapy, a gene editing therapy called CAR T cell therapy. And um, yeah, through that, like went from less than a year to live to go back to work, do what you want. And how yeah. was all of that funded? I paid for it, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, I paid for it, but having said that, many, many, many people helped um, because some friends of mine did a Give a Little campaign, which probably paid about half of it, which is was incredible and wow. humbling and awful and embarrassing and yet wonderful all at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And um, in this case, the point about you know mistake, the, the sort of meeting people was never a mistake because you never know who's going to come in handy. <laughs> mm, yeah. All these incredible people I met through my life suddenly you know popped back up and said, "Right, we want to help. How can mm. we help?" I love what you said about the different facets of of luck because yeah. I actually read a, a LinkedIn post of yours recently, which uh, and you you mentioned and correct me if I've got any of this wrong, but you mentioned you had attended a conference, the Morgo conference, yeah. where one of the speakers talked about the power of putting yourself out there and the good things that come from lucky encounters. Yeah. And I love this because you said, I believe this in terms of the good things that come yeah. out of lucky encounters. But I also believe that you make your own luck. Yeah. Chance favors the prepared mind. The harder you work, the luckier you get. Attitude and openness attracts luck and many other truisms. Yeah. And I just wondered if you wanted to expand yeah. on, on any of that. Isn't that? Oh, gosh, I thank you for quoting me. Oh, yes, you're very, very welcome. Way. I might have to put that in my autobiography. <laughs> um, no, I do think, I mean, this person was, too, and I loved it, by the way, he was talking about sort of throw yourself in the, fa- in, in the, in the face of serendipity. Mm. Like, I remember years ago, I used to, um, I was an actor. Okay, this is, look, another story. And, and, um, <laughs> and what I learned pretty quickly is that no one rings you and offers you a job, you know? You know, if you're sitting at home going, why is no one calling me? Why aren't I going out? Why is no one being my friend? It's because that doesn't happen. You have to go out there, put yourself out in the world, give yourself the opportunity to bump into the right people or do the thing that you find weird and uncomfortable three or four times because you'll get good at it or whatever. And then serendipity, which is that, you know, this chance encounters will start to happen. It's just sort of the law of averages. Mm. But, but so that sort of goes to the point about chance favors the prepared mind. You know, you, you, when you, sort of going to the cancer story, um, the reason I got myself on that, on that treatment or that someone offered it to me and I knew what it was is because I'd done a hell of a lot of work to read mm. all about what the clinical trials were and what these options were. And it got me to the point where I knew that if that ever came up, that would be the thing I'd want. So I, if someone else had said it and I wasn't aware of that, it could have just passed uh, by that opportunity. Wow. So there's all these sort of things that you realize that, you, um, that looks like luck, and is there's definitely a chance or a little bit of good luck in there, but actually there's so much more to it. Yeah, I do want to take this opportunity as a bit of a public service announcement. So good whilst I'm a commercial corporate insurance broker, so my mm. knowledge is very limited on the health side, I do know that Southern Cross, for example, has non-pharmac funded drugs and it's limited to 10k. Mm. So for me personally, I have a separate policy. Yeah. For about 500k a year. Nice. for non-pharmac funded drugs. Smart move. And I think that not everyone realises how important having access to that amount of money for a non-pharmac funded drug yeah. or treatment is. That would have been life-changing. Correct. Because I ended up, you know, having to mortgage the house and all that sort of stuff. Exactly. And, and as I say, lots of people put money in, so I'm not, I didn't get off badly. But boy, what a difference it would make to have 
that sort of yes. backup. Yes. And we um, we didn't get any medical insurance. We had medical insurance, but it just couldn't cover what we no. needed. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. Medical insurance is very yeah. limited um, in what it's going yeah, to cover. Yeah. And honestly, I think people just hear the word insurance and they go a bit like, oh, boring, dull, not that interested. But in moments like this, having yeah. access to big pools of money. It's not interesting until it is. Exactly. It makes <laughs> yeah. a significant difference. Was yeah. there any way that you, I, I mean, I don't know the the scientific ins and outs of lymphoma but was there any was there any family history of this that no. you could have, there was no that way was luck of knowing too, probably that's what the yeah. best the doctors can tell me is it was probably just bad luck you just had a i mean cancer is one of these things that people we all hear about we don't actually understand mm. and it's actually relatively simple it's your own body when we replicate cells which is happening millions of times a second sometimes the copy doesn't work particularly well Normally the body takes care of it, but when it doesn't and that cell can just keep going and going, that's cancer. And so there are hundreds of different types of cancer because every cell in your body could theoretically do this. Wow. So it's just a kind of a general term for a, a mutation in the cell in your body. Wow. Um, but yeah, so the, for me, it, that was quite insightful because I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know anything about chemotherapy and all that stuff. I definitely didn't know about immune therapy, which is oh. what I kind of had. So. Yeah. Yeah, you end up learning a lot. Amazing, amazing. Mm. And to close off the story, you are now in remission or completely clear? Or yeah, completely no, cured. Cured. Thank you very much because it's been five wow. years. So wow. um, I cheekily asked the doctor, um, can I call myself cured? And he went, sure. And I went, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Then yeah. I'm doing that. That's yeah. great. So it is, it's quite incredible. But for me, it, well, it's it was the opening of a door and with this podcast about sort of things that look like mistakes. Well, they're probably about mistakes, but actually about things that look like mistakes, but actually they're probably not. And even things yeah. that aren't necessarily a mistake you made. Like, So the cancer thing looked like a pretty bad time has opened up this incredible kind of vista of opportunities in life and wow. self-fulfillment, helping, first of all, getting that cancer therapy to New Zealand, which was a cool thing that we I did. I did. I didn't do it. Heaps of other people did it, but I helped um, four or five years, uh, three years ago, four years ago. And now trying to help other patients and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's huge. Before we go on to, the big, on to the big mistake, I'm going to try and frame a question in a very diplomatic way. But I'm just wondering. Don't. No, no, don't. Well, I don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So have you Why received... Are you so bored? Yeah. <laughs> have you, I'm just imagining, you know, you are a cancer success story. Yeah. And a lot of, there are a lot of non-success yes. stories. Have you received any... Uh, resentment or bitterness from people because I think you and I have mm. even talked about this Anna where the idea of like oh he really fought the cancer yeah and is that insinuating that those that didn't, die yeah. didn't, didn't. Fight. Yeah. and so how do you the wrong yeah is, how do you use of language how do you tackle that and have what's been your experience on that end of the equation yeah I certainly am quite um I'm quite conscious of that there's a survivor guilt thing that happens right you know, like because there's so much to this, we could do a podcast all about yeah. this. But there, there's a there's a certain thing that when you survive and then others don't, you realise, oh my god, uh, you know, luck and what if, what if, what if, what if. Um, so I certainly am conscious of that, and then I also am conscious that lots of people helped me, for example, like financially or mm. whoever, lot you know, dropping off lasagnas. Um, but then there's also this, as you say, people that didn't maybe get the same result that I have, or didn't didn't get the opportunity that I had, or couldn't take the opportunity if it was in front of them. And that's really tough, yeah. I've never felt like um, resentment, but you do certainly feel a sadness at times. I mean, yeah. I do spend quite a significant portion of my life talking to other cancer patients or their family, families wow. and carers, wow. and I've been to more funerals in the last probably five years than I, than I would ever want to in my whole life. Wow. Um, and many of them that people that I've met on the journey. 
And so you're very, every one of them, you're much more, you become even more conscious of, wow, that was an outcome mm. that definitely could have been me. So you just have to channel that though, because if it's again, it's sort of framing. If you wallow in your own mm. sort of worry or guilt or whatever, it's not helpful. Mm. How might you channel that into doing something useful? Yeah, and you are with your story, you are doing something useful. And I even I must say that I just before you arrived, I watched the your amazing TEDx Tauranga <laughs> uh, talk on this very subject, and I really valued that you made just briefly made the comment of hey, I appreciate that some of you might be even going through this now and I'm with you and I, yeah. I'm very sensitive to that. Yeah. And then you moved on, but you you acknowledged that yeah. basically not everyone's story is as smooth sailing. Well, not that yours was smooth sailing, but you get yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Not always ends in a positive outcome. outcome. Exactly, yeah. So on that note, David mm. Downs, if we say big mistake, what comes to mind? Yeah, well, like I said earlier, I haven't made any mistakes. It's very boring. <laughs> no, because if you choose to call them mistakes, you know, it's a bit cliche, eh? But the mistakes are things that you that you learn from later. I remember the, probably the biggest mistake or the biggest sort of thing that looked like a mistake at the time but wasn't was choosing to set up a comedy club in Auckland at a time <laughs> at a time when comedy was not a thing this is 1994 with a bunch of people including myself who had no idea what we were doing why was comedy not a thing in the 90s, just, in the 90s? We were, New Zealand wasn't that good at it it's like we really? were trying oh. I mean there were certain people were good at it don't get yeah. me wrong but actually it wasn't it wasn't an industry like we literally start up this comedy club and people going what's that and you go it's a place where you go really? and watch comedy why would you do that well, because that's kind of an interesting thing to do. I'm like, well, you're an idiot. You know? I, love <laughs> like, that, I love that you have to convince people that comedy is comedy. Yeah, like right? training them as an audience. Yeah. And then Seinfeld came on TV and people go, oh, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah that's what we're talking yeah. about. So do you yeah, think yeah. that would lend itself to saying that Kiwis as a whole are late yeah. to comedy, which means that they might be less uh, open to banter, more sensitive. Oh, I don't know. You what, should like, tell us yeah. that because you, you clearly that's a very leading question. There's a thing in the paper the other day or today about the Kiwis aren't good at banter. I don't. That's not my experience. I think we're really good. Yeah, I think we've that's got not a Kiwi my experience either. But I think when you put it out, like you said, the energy you put yeah. out into the world, you're going to attract yeah. the same energy back. Yeah. So I think if you go out into the world, yeah, and you're yeah, like, right, yeah. I'm, you know, take the piss out of me. It's all ducks and water off a bag and water off ducks back you're yeah. going to get those people in your life yeah. so I haven't experienced that yeah exactly you're not a shy retiring type. no yeah, yeah, yeah. but I could see how if comedy yeah. hadn't come to New Zealand yeah. to the 90s that well, might so there were definitely people know. doing it as I say but it didn't become sort of mainstream until because we used to before that because I was a stand up comedian for a few years before that we used to literally go to other people's bars hire chairs you know bring in wow. all our <laughs> gear pay for it all you know, I remember my girlfriend, now wife, was sitting, you know, she'd do the tickets at the door and we'd be doing it up on stage doing our comedy and we'd be watching the people go to the bar to buy their drinks. And then at the end of the night, the bar guy would come over and go, here's your $20, here's your $20. And we go, well, hang on, hang on, what happened over there with the bar? And he, oh, yeah, no, that's, you know, the bar. So we all went, well, he can do that, we can do that. Like, why can't we set up our own bar and set up our own place? Brilliant. That was sort of the, the mistake. Wow. Of thinking that we knew how to do it, when reality was it was way harder. So what happened? <laughs> Paint us a picture. You're how old? I was twenty three or twenty four at the time. Okay, and where was this bar? What it's is it? It's still there. It's the classic. It's on yeah. Queen Street. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's the classic. Have you yeah, been there? Yeah. No, I don't think yeah. so. Really? Oh, oh wait, is this? Oh wait, Miriam. is this the one connected to the and out the back? It leads onto a car park. And yeah, that's downstairs. Yeah, downstairs. but the one on Queen oh, Street yeah, itself, yeah, yeah, yeah. which used to be a porn cinema. So when we took it over, <laughs> it was, look. This, there's so much to this story. We took it over. <laughs> Um, a friend of mine, Paul Horan, he's a fantastic guy. He'd, he'd worked at a bar. He knew about bar stuff. 
I had been to university and done mathematics, so therefore they thought I would be the money guy. Um, there's a couple of other people around, you know, including Scott, who's now there. And it was just this amazing, like, we had we didn't have the skills, but we had bits of some of them. Yeah. And then um, we, we found the venue that we really liked, but it was the small problem it was a porn cinema, literally. Wow, it was cool, And it was still, it was called The Classic. And uh, we went to the council and said, do you really want a porn cinema on your... This is before the internet, for those yeah. of you who are yeah. listening, going, what the hell's a porn cinema? Yeah. It's exactly what you think it is. Um, I'm just I'm just <laughs> wincing at the thought that these people turn up at a public place yeah. and... Yeah, yeah, and watch porn and... Together... Anyway, sorry, moving right along. We, we had to do a lot of cleaning when we <laughs> took over the porn cinema. It was hilarious. Oh, I love the story so much. Oh, Mostly yeah, yeah. because of Miriam's face. Yeah, oh. That was a good face. We could bottle it. She got, you always got the voice effect, but the face oh, made it better. Oh, man. But anyway, we had to clean the entire thing out. We put in new furniture. We had to... Um, it was amazing. and But we ran out of money really quick because we had nowhere near enough money. Yeah. We'd sort of gone to all the friends and family and comedians and stuff and said, let's all put some money in and cool. got nowhere near enough money. So it was really just hard going for the first few years, like almost impossibly difficult. But we got, you know, we kept going and kept going and yeah, still going today, 27, wow. I think it is, years later. So what would you do differently then? And why was that a mistake? Yeah. No, well, at the time, as oh. I say, at the time it felt like a mistake. Like I remember I was at the age, this time I was, I sort of took over C for, for the first couple of years or you know, well, I don't think we had formal roles we didn't know what we were doing didn't know what the job title were but I was like the money guy anyway and um, I remember sitting there one day at the age of 25 or 26 and, I, and I'm feeling really sick and, and we couldn't pay the bills and literally that little delivery guy was outside going I'm not dropping it off until you pay me Wow. And it was Friday night, and we didn't get the, the, the beer and stuff. We couldn't open for the weekend. It was just like this most stressful thing. And calling my you know friends and family and trying to get someone's credit card to pay the five grand that we needed to buy. The, all that. That's when you go, oh, my God, we've made an enormous mistake. Yeah. We have no idea what we're doing. And then I got told by the doctor I had an ulcer, stomach ulcer, at the age of 25 or 26 or something. And so that, that felt like a mistake. But l- later in life, I look back and go, man, that was so yeah. cool. What a cool time! <laughs> yeah, and and like gutsy yeah, to, to think that gutsy. you. And the thing is, I feel like so much of the things that we get involved in, like even this podcast, for instance, you don't know the challenges you're going to come no. up against until you start. And if you knew them ahead of time, you probably wouldn't do it anyway. Yeah. And then imagine imagine that world that we would live in if that was the case. If we no one just tried anything because they knew ahead of time these are the barriers you're going to. And this you is know. the thing about humans catastrophizing. Like, unfortunately, sometimes we do look into the future and think these are all things are going wrong, and then we don't do something. Yeah. And the reality is. Even when the baddest, the worst thing, the baddest, the worst thing you can think of happens, you can probably still get around. Yeah. It's like your public speaking you are talking about earlier. I talked to lots of people public speaking. I'm not a professional like you. But they always go, oh, my God, it's going to go really badly. Oh, my God, they're going to hate me. And I go, when was the last time you sat in an audience and, and yeah. they really yeah. hated the person? Yeah. Probably never. Yeah. Because like, even if they're not that good, audiences are quite predisposed to actually liking yeah, the course. person to speak and wanting them to be successful. And when you reframe like that, you go, oh, okay. So stop putting the worst possible oh, yeah. outcome onto something that's not even real. But yeah. it's funny. We, we actually interviewed Stanley Henry uh, and his now fiance Claire Wallace, on the, on the podcast not so long ago. And I, I, we were talking about uh, Claire's hesitancy to post on social media. And, and I was trying almost like you were just describing these – these truth coaches, these truth mm. statements to help her see that, you know, actually what is the worst thing that can happen? But Stan made this really insightful comment, which I think applies here, which is you're trying to give a rational 
approach to yeah. an irrational yeah. emotion. Yeah. And it's true, you can't always logic your way, logic your way mm. out of these situations. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, in those cases, I don't know what you do. I mean, well, I think, I, I think <laughs> to be a public speaker, if you just take that, you've got to want it somehow, even to learn how to publicly yeah. speak. You've got some desire there. Whereas if you have even, no desire, yeah. I would argue just leave them alone. People mm. should only really be doing something yeah. that they're interested in, that they yeah. have some desire to push themselves, challenge themselves, yeah. whatever it is. Otherwise, you're just forcing someone to do something and it never ends well. There's certain roles where you've got to. Like if you're a leader you know, in, a, in an organisation or in a community, mm. Public speaking is kind of part of what you need to be able to. It's yeah. a skill you need to build to a certain level at least. You don't necessarily have to be an expert. Yeah. Um, but, you know, stand-up comedy is like public speaking times 10. Because yeah, not absolutely. only are you standing up, oh, yeah. you're actually trying to get them to laugh. And absolutely. To, yeah. The people <laughs> you must have met yeah. running that. Incre- oh, how yeah, incredible. Cool. Yeah, I wasn't particularly good at it. But, Run, you know, running, <laughs> so I'm not doing it anymore. Running the business or comedy? <laughs> or both. As it turns <laughs> out. Anyway, well, speaking of, speaking of <laughs> business... So you're currently the CEO of New Zealand Story, which is an organisation that was set up to help build New Zealand's international reputation beyond the natural beauty piece, which we all are very familiar with. And Anna and I were talking about this before you arrived. We're very interested to know, how are we going? How are we doing? What's the sentiment offshore? That's such a Kiwi thing. What do you think of us? (laughs) Actually, I can tell you, because we just did all the stats recently. We're going very well, actually. So globally... New Zealand's one of the top kind of country brands. Okay. Yeah, we're probably in the top 20, 25 sort of most most years that we measure it. The brand is worth about, and this, in terms of, this is getting really nerdy now, but okay. we measure, the international firms measure the, the value of the brand, mm-hmm. and New Zealand's brand is worth 280 billion US dollars, is their estimate. How on earth do you measure They do through all brand. sorts of interesting, you know, GDP's a little part yeah, of it, yeah. but for New Zealand that's not a big part of it, no. but it's things like a thing called soft power, which is how much influence do you have in the world ah. beyond your military, so things like how, how much of a leader are you in science and technology or culture or history or whatever. Um, and yeah, we we do fairly well. There's certain gaps, real gaps for us. Like New Zealand is not well known as a country there's where there's science or or kind of high tech, and yet we do actually have a lot of that. We've got the whole rocket industry, for yeah. example, whole space sector. So part of what we do is trying to expand that global perception. Yeah. Um, but that brand value, two hundred eighty billion, is about the same as as Google or Apple. It's kind of wow. imagine working in an organisation where you've got this massive brand behind you. So when we out there working with New Zealand businesses, we're trying to say, look, you've got this this reputation that you carry with you already is very strong. Mm. So when you wake up in the morning, you see that there's a, a shooting or a flood. Yeah, do you fairly. think? Yeah. Is that going to be a difficult day? No. Um, How's that? Brands gonna... are long term things, not short term things. You know, like. It, it, they're stubbornly long term, actually. Um, and c- during the COVID years, New Zealand's brand did go up. Our reputation grew um, because we were perceived globally as being doing a really good job. Yeah. Um, but then since COVID, it has gone down a little bit again, yeah. but back to pretty much where it was before, you know, in the twenties in terms of um, ranking. So it's brand, yeah, brands are built slowly. The other thing about it is new, in, you know, when you're in the context, you see that a rest of the world doesn't necessarily yeah. see some of those bad news stories <laughs> yeah. and B, yeah. their news is probably a lot worse. Yeah, frankly, yeah, true. Them. It's funny, I, so I've recently got back from, from Europe and... Okay, no need to show off. Uh, yeah, I'm going to tell you about my holiday. <laughs> actually, I've got my photos yeah, here. Instagram was insane. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting, you know, your, your comment about um, uh, how others perceive. It's, it's interesting because even... Now people are like, oh yeah, New Zealand really did well over COVID, yeah. and my comment, and I'm interested to know 
if this is fair, David, but my comment has been it's something like, it's interesting that you think that because even though that probably was the leading narrative in New Zealand, even New Z most of New Zealanders, I think that's fair to say that probably during that first lockdown, maybe most of New Zealanders thought, yeah, this is probably the right thing. Yeah. But now I think most of New Zealanders look back and think, that was the wrong Not move. necessarily at the beginning. No way. Do you? Do you? I loved it. <laughs> the best oh, time. Yeah, yeah. So not for me. I just had a baby. Separate so my husband was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Hold, on, hold on. Hold on. Because that's, I agree. I had, I, I'm one of the few then, and there are a few of us like this where you have to be careful as to how much you say you enjoyed it. Because similarly, yeah, not everyone did. It was similarly, a it was a tough yeah. time, but for us it was good. But I'm saying for the country as a whole, personally, I think it was a bit of a disaster, particularly yeah. towards the end. I think it was too drawn out. Do you have a sense of of that perception? Did that have an impact? Yeah. Yeah. Or Last like year internally, did, like within New Zealand? Oh, within New Zealand, we don't measure uh, yeah. as much, yeah. but we definitely measure internationally what they think of New Zealand. And certainly about a year ago, we, we, we remember it was only a year ago that we actually reopened the borders. Like it's was, it a, it was it only a year Just ago? about, it was it June, July yeah. last year. So. Yeah. Boy, oh boy, it's so funny because we always I'm always looking forward anyway. Yeah. But when we did that, the rest there was a perception from the rest of the world that we were slow. Um, but then what's happened? It's bounced back again because we while we weren't the first to open, we certainly weren't the last. China only opened in the last few months. That's true. Um, and so yeah, a lot of, again it goes back to the point of making that brands are long term yeah. things. So. And I use I always say that the job that we're doing at New Zealand Story is at least a twenty to thirty year mm. role. Like mm. we won't we can measure it along the way. We can measure sort of individual little bits, but you won't actually see any impact for mm. thirty years. Mm. Um, yeah. What are the challenges of this role? What, that's one of them. Like the lack of immediacy of uh, feedback. Um, well, I mean, we're trying to do something quite ambitious. We're trying to change the global perception of a country. You know, that's relatively new discipline, if you like, a new thing to do. Um, and we're, so we're experimenting with how you do that. Like, what mm. are the things that we need to do? I mean, the thing I know is we can't, with the, you know, my little budget and my small team, who are as talented as they are, we cannot be the ones that do that. So we have to enable others to do mm. it. We have to get all of the New Zealand international kind of organisations and firms and whatever, government agencies, etc., all to kind of be on the same page. Mm. So that's probably the biggest thing is trying to create a, sort of influence others to tell, you know, a consistent, coherent mm. message. Mm. Awesome. I'm wondering if we just change angles slightly, unless mm. Anna, you wanted to jump in there with anything else. But I've just picked up something, which was that you made reference back, if we go back to the conversation of a wee way, yes. you mentioned at 23, you set up this comedy club and your girlfriend now wife. Yeah. How long have you been married, David? <sighs> For 20, we've been married for 27 or 28 years, yeah. but we've been together since we were 20. So we've wow. been together for 32 years now. I'm wow. 52. Yeah. How do, you, how do you stay married for that long? It's not hard. It's easy. <laughs> is oh, it? Is it? Like, I often no. talk about this. Yeah, about, so talk Why do people find it so hard? You just like get on with each other and don't be dicks. You know, it's pretty, but it's yeah, that easy. Yeah, interesting. Cause do, so do you have any, uh, any, like if, if, for instance, you were to bump into an, a newlywed couple, couple or a yep. couple that was preparing for marriage, yep. what would be some of There's your... a bit of self-interest in your story in this uh, question. Well, <laughs> married seven years. Well, so I know, actually, apparently good. seven years... Well, coming up seven years. Apparently seven itch. years is like the itch. itch. But funny you should say that because we find it really easy as well. Yeah, I know, it's that hard. But uh, to your point about advice, when I was... Because, um, you know, we were quite young when we, when we met, 20 when we met, and... Um, 
And then we decided we were going to get married in our sort of 23, 24. And um, I wanted to get married in a church because I was brought up a Catholic. Um, I wasn't particularly religious back then at that time, but it was just like, that's what you do, you get married in a church. And so, and we wanted to get married in Devonport because it's a nice place. So we had to kind of toe the line and we went to see the the parish priest. Catherine and I had to go together. She's not particularly religious, definitely not Catholic. It wasn't. Anyway, so I remember going in and he go, he said, right, and, when we, and just old, you know, imagine the scene. It's like Father Ted, you know, this old <laughs> decrepit presbytery and the old guy and he's smoking a pipe or whatever. And he probably wasn't, but in my mind, that's what <laughs> I remember. And he said, I'm going to give you some advice. And it, he was, and it was, on one hand, it was the most cliche, awful, you know, almost patronising. And on the other hand, it was incredibly true. He said, he goes to me, buy us some flowers every now and then. And then he said to her, uh, to Catherine, don't talk to him about anything important until he's had his dinner. <laughs> and then both of us said, and never argue in the bedroom. And that was like yeah. his advice. And we went away laughing and going, like an old doddery old fool. Over the years, we go, God, he was onto something, actually. And <laughs> you, you remembered it. I was remembered yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Isn't was, that funny? He was really onto something. And not about those specific things, but more about how you show care and respect relative to the other person's needs and stuff. And, wow. And yeah. It was really, it was a lovely. Wow. So I don't, I don't. And now I'm going to add something advice. a bit more interesting okay. into the story, which <laughs> was that Dax Shepherd and Kristen Bell, who armchair expert, listen to his podcast quite a lot, on the drive over, they were interviewing someone who said that uh, marriage is at least at least one percent. If you can think about, because they've been married seventeen years, one percent of I cannot stand this person. You are the most annoying human <laughs> being on the planet to me. 1%. And 99%, we're good. We're good. We've got this great relationship, lots of love, whatever yeah, it is. But this fair. 1%, which is you are the worst. I don't want to be around well, you. funny, my husband found out that I don't listen to him as much as he thinks I do through this podcast. Cause Uh-oh. Anna, 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 and he Anna, found it by listening to this yeah, podcast. Yeah, so because I was like, listening to it and I was like cracking up. He's like, what are you listening to? And I just, I'm like, are you ready for this? And I put the headphones on and he's like, oh, so that's what happens when you just look off into the distance. I'm like, yeah. I thought you sorry. were thinking deeply about what I just yeah, said. Yeah, no, yeah. Miriam has a few double standards in her uh, so-called <laughs> wonderful all, marriage, which is that if Daniel uh, is in the other room and shouts for Miriam and says, Miriam, come here, Miriam won't won't come or Good. won't acknowledge. I'll pretend, because I can usually only hear like every second word. That's so I'll right. pretend I won't hear. Yeah. So he's to come to me and actually talk but to if, me. But if Miriam's in the kitchen and says something to Daniel and or yells. come here or whatever, yells, yeah. and, and he has to respond and he has to come to the kitchen. That's the natural oh, yeah. order of things, isn't it? That's the way life should yeah. be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, so... Uh, on the, oh, thank thank you for sharing a bit about no, your your, your marriage. Happily, yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, congratulations. It's so wonderful to hear in a, in a world of broken relationships and yeah, we're we're of our oh, I shouldn't say this, but of our friends, I think we are probably the longest lasting. Wow. And I remember when we were younger and young and newlywed or whatever, you know, thinking about getting married, and we were talking to couples who were older than us and thinking and asking those sorts of questions and. I remember calling someone the benchmark, like you're the oh, benchmark yeah. of a good marriage. And years later, they reminded me that I'd forgotten and, and it was cool. But, you know, it, because they were friendly with each other, they like got on well. They were clearly best mates yeah. as well. And, um, and that, you know, that's definitely the truth for me. And I wonder if that's, you know, we mentioned earlier about hardwired versus trained. I wonder if that compati- compati- compatibility piece is luck, so yeah. to speak. Like that's... Oh, no, effort. You think compatibility is based on No, effect. I think there's a, a deeper connection 
with someone you can be deeply connected to someone but ultimately there are two people that have to agree to put effort in to to make it work and you could have all the attraction all the chemistry all the connection in the world but if if you decide to not put effort in and you're putting in all this effort it will fail no matter what absolutely so I agree with that but I'm saying there has to be a, 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 a almost more than a base level of compatibility. Yeah. Like you take, I mean, we were making, you making reference to personality tests earlier on. Myers-Briggs, which, you know, some people take it or leave it, but uh, overlays certain personality types to say, if you're in the green zone, these two personalities, like basically stay away. Yeah. yeah. Because someone, (laughs) even your your basic basic mode of functioning is just completely incompatible. So I think, you know, to your point, I think absolutely you've just got to be able to get on. Yeah. And I, I squirm. I hear this, may, not in, not in my own peer group, but maybe you know, in in pop culture, that attitude of like the husband saying, "Oh, I'm needing to go off and get away from the wife yeah, and that, play that, golf." That's definitely not something I experience. No. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. it saddens me because I think, gosh, that if that or like gotta go fishing, get away yeah, from the yeah. missus, you know. Yeah. And I think that's that's sad that that's not how it should be and we sometimes joke about that because it's like I've just been in Australia for th- away for three nights and Daniel's like it's so nice you. to have you I home you, yeah. you know oh, and that's, that's lovely that's I don't know I don't, I yeah I don't like know I mean be. my tip is laughter so we just laugh a lot we just yeah, have a lot of fun I? together yeah, and we yeah. laugh a lot yeah. but on that point I think there's it's called like this one night of so say I go away for three days Michael will think, oh, the first night, this is great. I'm working on my car. I'll do whatever I want. The TV, (laughs) this is great. And then on day two, he's like, oh, I think I missed you now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Day three, I can't find my socks. (laughs) 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 Microwave the same thing three times. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Uh, David, what excites you about the future? Oh, everything. The future's an exciting place, isn't it? One of the best. Yeah, yeah. Either for you you personally as an individual or... Like, what have you got coming up that you're looking forward to, or even uh, work-wise, yeah. or for yeah. New Zealand? What, what's on Gosh, your mind? Lots of stuff. I mean, I I genuinely live in a in a in a state of relentless optimism about the future, and it's mm. and it's a practice as well as a um you know as I say genetically wide. I mean, there's things like I really enjoy. Catherine, my wife, and I are going to go and see our son, who's 22, and he lives in Sydney, so we'll go and catch up with him. But that's like a short-term thing. Um, We've got. I'm, I actually kind of weirdly look forward to the day that I might see me retire. Um, oh, yeah. Even though I'm only 52, I go, oh, that'll be quite cool. We can travel a little bit more. Yeah. Our youngest son is still at home, and he he's going to go to uni next year, which is very sad on one hand, but on oh. the other hand, you go, oh, that's cool. We'll never have to go bloody on holiday during school holidays again. That'd yeah. be good. Uh, <laughs> that's a nightmare. So I do get quite optimistic in terms of like work stuff. New Zealand's. Um, I think, yeah, it's a tricky time. We just did a session this morning. We were talking about the kind of the global economy. Yeah. It's tough out there. There's, it's challenging. But we always also know that after every recession comes an amazing, you know, set of opportunities. And so sometime in the next year or two, we'll start to see these incredible new things and opportunities bursting mm. out. So the companies and the people that are making investments mm. now and thinking now about what they're going to do to be better for that future mm. are the ones that will be thriving. Mm. Yeah, don't miss a good you know, crisis. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> so Anna, any last questions from you? I'm just conscious of the time before we let oh, you do the last question. Oh. Yeah. We've got the last question. Okay. Last was there, question. Any, was oh. there anything else that you wanted that was on your mind or should do you want to segue into our last one? So all of this optimism you yes. talk about, uh, there's got to, there has to be still moments when you just 
are this is quite a lot. I've taken on a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm cha- I'm responsible <laughs> for the brand of New Zealand, uh-huh. and I already failed at my comedy club when I was 23. I associate those two things together, <laughs> and I didn't talk about that in my job interview either, by the way. So don't mention it. <laughs> But there's definitely times, I mean, you wouldn't be human if you didn't have sometimes a few couple of doubts. Or I mean, this is the thing about resilience, isn't it? Resilience is not the ability to be staunch the entire time or re- ignore things. The, resilience is about a, a realising that you're a human being, mm. that things will probably, you know, um, have an impact maybe emotionally or whatever, but that you will come back from that. And and resilience mm. is the speed and the, and the energy that you come back with. So, yeah, I've... You know, for me, it's not about saying, oh, I'm never going to make another mistake or I'm scared of making a mistake. It's like, I know I'll make mistakes and therefore um, I'm not scared of that. And then I know that I've got to work out ways of getting back from those mistakes and that will make me stronger again, you know. So I think that's, when you can get yourself into that mindset, and I know it sounds very trite and you sound a little bit preachy, but I really believe mm-hmm. that those practices that you build then get you better and better and better. Absolutely. Going back to the stand-up, yeah. like my days of stand-up, not only did I sort of, you know, not fail, but find the running a business very hard. Being on stage, when you've been on stage and people are literally sort of booing you, <laughs> despite what I said earlier about um, speaking, <laughs> and you walk off, you go, well, that's the worst it'll ever get. It can yeah. only go up from here. Yeah, that's good. And then you'll learn from that. And next time you're not quite as bad and you're not quite as bad and you get better and better. So, it's yeah, I think that's the same with me thinking about the future is uh, don't be scared of it and don't catastrophize. Don't think... I can't do anything because it might go wrong. Yeah, let's yeah. take a risk. Yeah, awesome. Brilliant. Awesome. David Downs, well, before we close, mm. what is the worst piece of advice that you have received? <laughs> Apart from coming on this podcast. <laughs> uh, that's probably not the first piece to say that. I reckon the worst piece of advice was more of an expectation that I sh- that the path in life was to leave school and then go to university mm. and get a like a really sort of professional job. I went. I left school and I went to um, varsity and I did mathematics and, and then... And then I realised about a year in, that, why am I doing this again? Like, who whose expectations am I trying to fill? Yeah. A, doing mathematics, which I'm useless at, and then B, being at uni. And then I thought, well, this just isn't for me. So I dropped out, which was, yeah. So the mistake was sort of meeting or following that, you know, bad piece of advice, which is just, this is the way the world works. You wow. must do this. This wow. is the linear path to success. Yeah. So and what would have you done if you hadn't gone to uni, do you think? I, what I, well, I went there for a year and then I dropped out and became yeah. a stand-up right. comedian. Right. Okay. And so things seemed to have worked out all right. I was going to say, <laughs> you have had a yeah. better life experience, <laughs> lessons, everything yeah. because of that choice. Yeah, yeah. And it does By make me well. wonder, like, other David Downs-esque individuals that are under the same impression that they have to go to university i really hope that because you got out before you were yeah. institu- institutionalized so yeah, to speak. Yeah. but you know i do wonder if the personally i think the whole education system needs needs a massive refresh yeah, but yeah. you know you hope that there are these that these kids don't become disheartened or yeah. or or they don't not forced to conform to this way of thinking this expectation yeah I, I jokingly but only half jokingly say to my kids that if any of them ever becomes a lawyer or accountant I'll disown them <laughs> because the, so I know you've got a bit of a history no, no, here no, no, <laughs> no, no. Well, well, because, I mean I was a lawyer yeah you're a lawyer too a lawyer, but not, not because those are bad people oh, I've no. got some of my best friends are lawyers but <laughs> yeah, more yeah. it's more the world doesn't really need lots of lawyers and accountants yeah, what we totally. need is creative yeah. one of my sons is at mu- doing music composition wow. you know one's a graphic like wow. a, a marketing design you get, that's what the world needs creativity yeah. and kind yes. of freedom of expression so and then, science and then mm. as a father how do you reconcile that with the fact that they've got to 
earn make their own choices. Yeah. Well, earn a living. Have yeah, yeah, yeah. Income. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, again, you've just sort of think, hopefully you've, we've taught them enough in the early stages yeah. of their life that they can make the right choices when they yeah. need to. Yeah. I mean, going back to that point about conformity, mm. when I, so when I became a stand-up comedian for years, ran a comedy club, all that sort of stuff, and then Catherine and I decided we should have children. Like, you know, it's, we're 25, that's what you do, 26, have, let's have kids. And we wanted kids, obviously. It wasn't a duty thing. Mm. But anyway, so then we thought, well, Catherine works in TV too. One of us get a proper job. Right, Who? Probably me. Yeah, okay, right. I'm gonna get a proper job um, because she'd study theatre at university. Yeah. All right, so there's no chance of, to your point. No chance of her. So I went off and got a proper job, and then I made my my mistake because I thought, okay, you work in a proper job, you better be proper. Like you have to put a suit on. You can't be funny at work. I got a job at Microsoft, a wow. big American corporate. Thought, okay, I better be like. And for years, I was like going to work and being sort of this kind of serious. fairly straight yeah. person and very serious and just doing what you needed to do. And then I realised that the more I was just relaxed at work and made jokes and was a bit of a dick or whatever, the more successful I was being. Wow. And I finally got to the point where I'm just like all over the place. And now I look at it and go, what the business world needs is oh. exactly what creatives have. They oh, need yeah. they need creativity and, and iteration and not taking yourself too seriously and all that sort of stuff. And when you bring those skills into the oh, business yeah. environment, you thrive. So yeah. now I work for the government. I literally sort of advise ministers to go with PM and all that sort of stuff. And I just buy like this. <laughs> God, you can get away with anything. Yeah, isn't mm. that amazing? Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's Welcome. been such a treat. There have been so many. So it felt like quite a fast pace. It felt like we yeah. were l- looking at lots of different things. Do they subjects. sometimes drag? <laughs> come on, previous podcast yeah. people, lift your game. Come on, come on, lift your game. Uh, but no, if I feel like we've covered a broad spectrum of things that hopefully, um, uh, well, it's hard to say, no idea is new under the sun, but um, hopefully extracted a new angle of the one and only David Downs for our listeners today. Uh, any any last things you want, want to leave these guys with? What's your... My last... Thank you for having me on your podcast. I love doing things like this. I love learning from other people as well. Um, and keep sharing what you're doing with the world. It's cool to have, you know, you extracting these lessons out and then turn it into some sort of film, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't think Anna's given me a choice. I really have to stick with this now. Yeah, oh, good. You've it. bought the equipment. You've capitalised it. You're in. You're that's in. it. That's <laughs> it. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. Kill it up.